Good evening, church. I can honestly say there is no other place on this side of eternity I'd rather be. Now, I'm not a preacher by profession, and I have a hard time putting this clip on, too. There we go. So I'm just going to go ahead and let you know that uh, feel free. If, you have, if I say anything, that, or if you just don't think this presentation goes well, I encourage you to write those negative comments on the back of one of those cards in the pew in front of you. Give it to one of the elders. My name is Blake Dozier. <laughs> uh, I've been teaching the auditorium Bible class here on Sunday mornings for this quarter, and we've been talking about family. And how to strengthen family, strengthen by strengthening our, uh, ourselves, and how that rolls over into the family and the type of influence we have within the individual family and also within our own church uh, congregation. And so, as I was thinking about preparing a lesson for tonight to share with you, I couldn't help but get that, uh, that kept being in my mind about well, I need to find a way to pull my Sunday morning class into this, this discussion here this evening. And so the word that kept coming to my mind was the word commitment. Because when you think about being a Christian, when you think about being a, a leader in your family, being a productive member of your workforce, wherever, it always hinges around the word commitment. And so we're going to look at commitment this evening. We're going to look at, we're going to look at what it means to be committed to God and what that looks like. And I'm a pretty, if you've been in my class on Sunday morning, you know, I'm a, I come at things at a pretty practical standpoint. This is uh, my goal here for this lesson. I like to put things up on the PowerPoint so you can see what I'm talking about. I'm a visual learner. I like to be able to hear, I like to be able to see what I'm saying. So my goal with this lesson is to help us all think, self-reflect, some of you heard that, self-reflect and spur discussion. This is not intended to be a philosophical lesson. It's a lesson about the nuts and bolts, about what commitment really looks like, and about how to have positive change in our family. So as our focus is how to have a commitment to God and what that should look like in each of our individual families. Well, I'd like to start off by reading from, from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. Starting off in verse 9. Love must be honest and true. Hate what is evil. Hold on to what is good. Love one another deeply. Honor others more than yourselves. Stay excited about your faith as you serve the Lord. When you hope, be joyful. When you suffer, be patient. When you pray, be faithful. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Welcome others into your homes. What a powerful scripture. What a powerful reading there to project us into the, tonight's lesson. You see what the power of love, you see hope, you see joy, you see patience, you see be pr prayerful, be faithful. All of these things show our strength and our loyalties and our commitment to God. You know, one of the things that really pops out at me in that, pa in that passage right there is that when you suffer, be what? Be patient. That's not our nature these days, is it? I don't know if it's ever been anybody's nature or not. But when you look at the world today with the social media, we want answers when. We want them yesterday. And so we do not, a lot of times we just don't have the patience. What we have to understand is that God's on a different time frame. He doesn't see things like we see them necessarily. 
You know, when I was thinking about the children of Israel being in bondage in Egypt, how long were they in bondage? Over 400 years. But what is 400 years to God? And so we may not think that God is giving us the answers we want or we think we deserve in a time frame that we think that we need to have them. But as we develop that relationship and commitment to God, we begin to understand God's pretty smart. And God has the ability to see things that we will never see. So let's learn to be patient and let's learn to be welcoming to others. Let's learn to think about other people. When you think about what it really means to be a Christian, when you really look at the life of Jesus, Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to what? He came to serve. The commitment we see is filled with action. We're going to look at this. We're going to look at a couple of passages here. And so we, we just saw this one here from, uh, we looked at this passage from Romans talking about commitment. Now let's jump over to James. In James chapter 2, verses 14 and 17, what good is it? What good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be filled, what does that, what does that do? What does that do for their physical needs? What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is what? It's dead. That's a passage all of us are very familiar with. We know that God wants us to be faithful to him, and he wants us to be faithful through our actions. And the way we show our commitment to God, one of the many ways, is by being committed to each other. By being committed to this church family, by being committed to our individual families. I hope that through the, as we continue through this discussion here tonight, you're going to think to yourself, what are some things that I can do to improve my commitment to my God? And how can I show that to my family? Keep that in your mind. What does turning it over to God look like? We talked about this a little bit this morning. Here are some, here are some themes that you see constantly running throughout Scripture. Love kindness, forgiveness, mercy, bridled tongue, putting others before yourself, prioritizing your time, and live in a way that instills confidence in your home. You know, our, what should our homes be like? What should be the dynamics of our homes? Should it be a war zone? Should it be a place of turmoil? Or should our homes be filled with love and peace and kindness and putting others first and prioritizing our time and living in a way that instills confidence within our families? Unfortunately, not all our homes look that way, do they? You know, in all homes, there's going to be certain levels of turmoil, right? That's going to happen periodically. Are there things that we can do to mitigate the turmoil. Can we, keep it, can we keep it at a lower level? Well, let's look at Hebrews 6, 9 through, 12, 9 through 12. Dear friends, we have to say these things, but we are sure of better things in your case. We are talking about the things that have to do with being saved. This is pretty important. 
These are, here are things that have directly consequences with your salvation. God is fair. He will not forget what you have done. He will remember the love you have shown him. You showed it when you helped his people. You show your commitment, you show your love to God every time you help his people. And you show it when you keep on helping them. We want each of you to be faithful to the very end. If you are, then what you hope for will fully happen. Folks, what is our hope? What do you hope for? Where do you place your hope? It will surely what? It will surely happen. We don't want to slow you down. Instead, be like those who have faith and are patient. They will receive what God promised. How comforting it is when we have brothers and sisters that we know have passed from this world to go to the eternal eternity knowing that they have hope knowing that they have been adopted into the, into the family of God, knowing that we're going to see them again one day. I can't even imagine living a life without that type of hope. Look to make some positive changes every week. Folks, this is, this is a challenge for each of us. Look, search, what positive changes can you make in your life, not every day, I mean, not just every week, but every day. Look for things that you can do. Talk about these changes you need to make with your family and friends. Why is it important to self-analyze, figure out what your weaknesses might be, and verbalize those weaknesses to some of your family or friends? Why is that important? It brings about a level of accountability, doesn't it? You know, I can know some things I need to improve on, but if I never mention it to anybody, nobody knows. No one's aware, right? No one knows that I'm aware. Therefore, I have set no expectations for myself with anyone else. But if I find my shortcomings and I verbalize them to my church family, I verbalize them to my family, now I know they know. And that gives me more motivation to really want to improve in these areas. So these things are important. These changes need to be your idea. Folks, if it's not your idea, what is it? Criticism, right? And how do we sometimes respond to criticism? Favorably? Most of the time, probably not. So in your own, in your own idea, make them your own idea, and be honest with yourself. Folks, you know your weaknesses. You know where your weaknesses are. You know where your strengths are. Work on them one, th one thing, work one thing at a time, but it comes with a warning. What's the warning on here? This one thing might take a lifetime. I've been working on patience my entire life. Debbie goes, really? <laughs> I have worked on it my entire life. And I promise you, I have not mastered it. I still fall very short at times with my patience. But I know as long as I know it's a weakness and I'm aware of it and I have verbalized it to Debbie many times and I know she's aware that it's going to motivate me to work even more diligently. Look for resolution 
instead of conflict. And oftentimes, this takes what? Planning. Folks, how many times have you, has, some, has uh, conflict been started in your household simply by the way something was phrased? Or a question that was asked, maybe in anger or in haste? How about, you ever heard this? Are you going to lay on that couch and watch football all day? Yeah? Okay. I love the honesty. You know, my wife has never asked me that question to my knowledge. Thank you, Debbie. And there's been a lot of Saturdays. I've spent Saturdays that way. I do enjoy watching football. But I see this played out a lot in, in families, and I see it played out a lot on TV and things of that nature. Here's what I challenge you. Here's the challenge I have for you. If you know your spouse enjoys laying around on Saturday and watching football all day long, and you know that irritates you, because you have other things you think that need to be done, how about having that conversation on Friday? You know Saturday's coming, and you know what he's going to do on Saturday. So that's a problem. Talk about it beforehand. And those, those of us that are receive, the reception, receiving these conversations, hey, sometimes we need to make some compromise. Because after all, what are we talking about here? We're talking about a commitment to God that's demonstrated through our commitment to who? To our family. Sometimes, guys, we have to make some compromises, right? Maybe instead of watching three, four-hour football games, we cut down to one or two. All right? There are some compromises that we can't be willing to make. How about that? We talk about that. How about discuss these things on Friday? Because that, the prevention, prevention a lot of times can save the frustrations. And more often than not, it's the frustrations that cause what? The big blow-ups. You know, as a school administrator, I learned a long time ago that if you can prevent something from happening, it's a whole lot easier than trying to change it after it does. We had our first high school graduation at the Coliseum, the Expo Center, about five years ago. Never had had one. It was a learning experience. We are getting back about 45 minutes before the uh, ceremonies to begin. I get a tap on the shoulder from one of the police officers. Mr. Smith, are we allowing people to reserve seats? And I look up there, and there are families that have set out reserve seat signs over entire sections. And I mean, we're up there trying to prevent fistfights. You know, 30 minutes before graduation starts. You know what I did the next year? I posted it. I planted administrators all over to make sure no one reserves seats. I sent out social media posts. I did all of these things trying to prevent that from occurring. And it worked. We never had another issue over that. And so if you plan and you think through these things, you know what your frustrations are. You know what your triggers are. So let's, let's think beforehand, before it becomes a trigger. Don't put people on what? On the defensive. How about this? Why haven't you done the laundry? You knew I, didn't, you knew I needed a dress shirt today, and there are no shirts. Why didn't we do the laundry yesterday? What else could have been done? Could I have done a load of laundry? Could your spouse have done a load of laundry? Because you have looked the day before to see if you had that clean shirt. 
are there preventative things that we can do within our families to prevent some of these blow-ups? Absolutely. Are having well-defined duties a good thing? I'm not going to answer that just yet. Okay, we're going to come back to that. I want you thinking about this. I know some families function very well having well-defined duties. Hey, this is, hey, this is your job. This is my job. That's the kid's job. Keep that in the back of your mind. We're going to come back to that. I had a conversation with Steve Willis, text conversation. I got his permission. I said, Steve, do you mind if I use this? He said, not at all. And I just screenshotted it. Here's the, here's the exact text that we, that we had in our conversation. To Steve Willis. If you, don't, if, you're not real, if you don't know what Steve does for a living, he's, he's a therapist. He does, he does uh, family, uh, family counseling, and a lot of family counseling, other counseling as well, marital counseling. And so I posed this question to him. I said, Steve, I'm working on a Bible lesson. I have a question for you. In your counseling experiences, how often do you find one or both parties frustrated because they feel the other is not pulling their share of the workload around the house? I just figured that was probably a safe, safe bet. And he comes back with his response. It is fairly often. A lot of people think that saying it, the saying is true, marriages are 50-50. I remember Paul Faulkner saying that the problem with that is when I say I'm doing 50%, I'm usually doing about 20%. And I expect the other partner to do the 80%. And when they, and when they both are only putting in 20%, and thinking that they're putting in 50%, that leaves 60% undone, he suggested that the best way is to look at marriage as 100-100. That way, it's more likely to average out 50-50. Right? I thought, you know, that's, that's pretty good. I, I, I was trying to uh, summarize all that. I said, I can't summarize that. That's great like it is. So use a screenshot. Back to this question. Or having well-defined duty is a good thing. It may be. But here's something, if this is the way, that, this is the way things function in your home, here's something I challenge you to, re to remember and to think about. When you do have the well-defined jobs and responsibilities, you might have a tendency, that's not my what. That's not my job. I worked for Joey Light, school superintendents of Wiley ISD for many years. And he used to preach to us all the time. This was one of his pet peeves. He said, we do not operate on a union mentality at Wiley ISD. Your job is whatever needs to be done. You know, when we get into this mindset of this is not my job, that's your job, who are we, who's the only person we're thinking about? Yourself. You're only thinking about yourself. Well, that's not my job, that's her job. I did my jobs. What if, let's go forward here a little bit. What if you could learn to have more joy in doing something nice for a family member rather than always looking for what you want? What if you do in your mind what you believe your defined jobs are and sometimes maybe do some of the others as well? What if both parties, what if what if all the siblings pitched in and had that mindset? What if both parents had that mindset? What if both grandparents had that mindset of doing what I can as much as I can for the other and not just about doing my job? 
What is the root of all sin, folks? I'm about to put a word up here. And I, if you can think, if anybody out there can think of any sin where this is not the base of it, I wish you would come share that with me later. Because for years I've been trying to think, is there one where this, where it doesn't, it's not rooted in this particular thing? The word is selfishness. You think about that. See if, I challenge you, see if you can come up with a sin that is not rooted in selfishness. You know, I could just throw it, throw it, I could just start, you know, adultery. Some selfishness there. What about lying? Selfishness? Cheating? Selfishness? Lack of commitment? Selfishness? When you live a life developing your commitment to God by putting others before yourself, think of the impact that will have on your family. We all have room for improvement as individuals, and as members of our church family, members of our individual families. Folks, this is where it starts, is with commitment. The commitment you have for yourself, for your God, the commitment you have for your family. What does Jesus tell us about our commitment to him? What are the concepts behind this passage? Read along this with me and think about the concepts of this passage. In Matthew 25, 35 through 40, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you gave them to me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the people who have done what is right will answer him, Lord. They will ask, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in? When did we see you needing clothes and give them to you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, what I'm about to tell you is true. Anything you did for one of the least important of these brothers and sisters of mine you did for me. What's the concept? Putting others before who? Before yourself. Putting others before yourself. Think about all the, look at the different passages that we looked at here this evening. Think about the commitment that we see that we should have for serving others. Oops. Rise up. Oh, oh. <laughs> Y'all don't want me to go there. <laughs> Folks, as we, wrap, as we wound this lesson up this evening, I hope you will think about your commitment to God and what that commitment looks like. That commitment should be seen in the way that you live for your family, for your church family, and for other people. You may have other needs as well. You know, it's a tradition here at Oldham Lane to offer an invitation for whatever, you know, for whatever issues you may have. We may have those wanting to place membership here with us. We may have those that just need to visit about some certain issue. 
And if you may not, you may not want to come forward. You may want to just visit with an elder or a deacon or somebody after services. That's fine. We're here to help. We're here to serve. If we can help you on this front row, we'll ask you to do that in just a moment when we stand and sing. If we can help you some other time, call us. Come see us. Catch us after service. That's what we're here for. That's what family is about. Thank you very much. I appreciate your uh, attention this evening. And if you do have any needs, we do offer this invitation as we stand and sing.